I'm going to be honest. I've been going nonstop since Albert's death. Maybe it's because I've tried not to feel as much. Maybe it's distraction. Maybe it's because I've wanted to keep certain things buried. Things that when I think about them cause me to have an anxiety attack. Things that bring sadness and an overwhelming sense of unworthiness over me. Shame, guilt, anger. I will be the first to admit that we did not have a perfect marriage. We loved each other fiercely, but we were far from perfect. I said things that were hurtful. He said things that were hurtful. When you are with someone long-term, there's bound to be discourse. You aren't going to agree on everything. We are all individual people with our own thoughts and ideas. So yes, disagreements happen. And in marriage, love ebbs and flows. Sex ebbs and flows. Trust ebbs and flows. Respect ebbs and flows. You go through rough patches. You go through financial crisis. This is all normal. And yet you fight through it to stay together because at the core, the love is there. Even if the flame is a bit duller than it used to be. Albert and I struggled greatly in the last few years together. Emotionally, financially. But we also had some very good times. You've heard many of the good times. I'm going to share a part of our bad times because we are human. I'm here to share every aspect of us, not to sugarcoat. So let's take a deep breath and dive head first. Am I confused? Yes. Is this going to get weird? <laughs> it already has. Am I scared? Shitless. Let's go down the widow rabbit hole together. Thank you for listening. This is how I got back to my childhood bedroom. So many of you know me, but obviously this is a podcast and there are plenty of people listening who don't know me or Albert or what went on in our lives. I'm going to share something that very few people know. I'm going to start by saying that my intention is not to hurt anyone with this. My intention is to share something that I have carried the shame of for far too long and I'm finally going to let that shame free. Writing, the podcast, my Instagram is all about releasing my thoughts into the world as a way of healing. A way to let people know that they aren't alone and that their struggles matter. The struggle I'm going to share is something I feel many will relate to and something that most never want to share because, well, it's dehumanizing. It can kill your spirit, your belief in yourself, and the people around you. It makes you feel less than and, quite frankly, like you are the biggest loser in the whole damn world. Albert and I struggled financially over the last few years of our marriage. This all came to a head in 2016 when each month it became a struggle to pay our rent on time, and then not at all. Falling a couple months behind. We lived in an apartment in Washington Heights, Manhattan. When we first moved in, the rent was 1800 Then over the course of nine years, it grew to 3200 we were in way over our heads and the rent had gotten out of control. Neither of our salaries could support such a weight. Even with a roommate, the burden was too much. We got back on track with the help of family. Things evened out for a bit and then slowly started to go downhill again. This time would prove to be far more than we could handle. Between my hours being less, him being in between jobs again, and a new baby with all the expenses that brings, we were stretched to capacity. Before, we had been able to work out an agreement with our management company outside of court. This time, we weren't so lucky. As I stared at the court summons that arrived in our mailbox, my heart felt like it was going to burst out of my chest. I broke out in a sweat all over. I never felt so hot in all my life. 
Panic started to overtake my body. I called Albert crying. He told me to take a breath and that right this second nothing could be done, which I knew. So there I was with a baby barely even six months old and we were being faced with possible eviction. I'm going to tell you right now that in that moment, nothing felt more scary. All these thoughts of where will we go and what will we do and how will we eat went through my head. As I sat in our apartment, I cried. I was so angry, ashamed, and worried. I had no idea the toll this would take on us. All I knew is that we had to make this right somehow. You would think for what we were paying, our apartment would be this thing of absolute beauty, that our building was being kept to high standards, but it wasn't. We battled roaches, mice, work that was half done. Over the years, building management just stopped caring, and so did the complacent tenants who were rent-controlled, while the rest of us who were being charged an exorbitant amount had to suffer. We and several other tenants tried to get petitions signed, but because we were such a small number, nothing could truly be done. Our elevator didn't work half the time. We had exposed electrical wires in our apartment, holes in our ceiling that weren't patched up, a radiator that leaked, and the one above us leaked as well, causing our ceiling to cave in. Even our bathroom ceiling caved in multiple times due to shitty repairs. Everything was fixed with a band-aid. It would be fixed for all of two seconds and then need repairs again. Management wouldn't send real repairmen to fix anything. It was always the building handyman who truly didn't know what he was doing half the time. And I never blamed him. This was all well above his pay grade. He was just doing the best he could. We were constantly bugging the super and the man who oversaw the rentals in our area. We had a baby and couldn't have him living in this kind of environment. It was absolute insanity. I know that what you're thinking, why not just move? Well, because we couldn't afford to move. Every last bit of money we had went to pay rent that we couldn't afford and pay on time. We were truly in a no-win situation. We were stuck with seemingly no way out. It wasn't until the lawyer for our management company suggested we go to HRA or Human Resources Administration Department of Social Services and see if the city would grant us what is called a one-shot deal. So, the next morning, that is exactly what we did. We walked into the Dykeman Job Center at 4055 10th Avenue for what would be one of the most likely 20 to 30 times over the course of the next couple of months. We waited with the masses for our number to be called so we could be sent to the proper location and person to talk to. Over the course of the next couple of weeks, we set up our claim. We gave varying people every shred of information we had bank statements, birth certificates, pictures with proof of our apartment's neglect, all of our court papers, Albert's unemployment record, proof of him being in the hospital, and those bills we carried. They took our picture and our fingerprints. We filled out countless forms. We then were placed with a caseworker, a lovely, amazing woman whom I wish I could remember her name. She was our beacon of hope. She took one look at who our management company was and shook her head. She knew our fight was going to be tough, but she looked at us and said, these guys are the scum of the earth. I want to bury them. We took a big breath and knew we were in good hands. She went through all our paperwork and our timelines of job loss and hospitalizations and income flow, all the neglect of the building and the apartment, everything. 
She told us that we had done everything exactly right and that we had more than enough to nip this in the bud, but that knowing what she knew about this company, it was still going to be hard. After countless hours of court dates, many of which I had to go to alone or even take Theo sometimes, we were down to our last one. We had been waiting on approval for our one-shot deal, and finally we got the news that we had been approved. The city would pay our entire back rent, and we would be safe. As we sat there waiting for the company's lawyer to show up, I still couldn't shake this feeling of dread. So, the lawyer shows up, and we tell him the news. He looks at us and says, So? My client hasn't received the money yet, so therefore we are going to have to move forward with the eviction. Meanwhile, we had paid the last two months' rent on time and were back on track aside from the two and a half months' back rent, which the city had just cut the check for that morning. I couldn't hold it in anymore. I let everything go and began to sob. Albert got angry, and the lawyer did not respond well. I knew Albert had done more harm than good, so I ran to catch the lawyer and apologized. He looked at me and said, If you had just paid your rent, you wouldn't be here. It's not that hard. I looked at him with tears in my eyes. I stared at him. He then said, I will tell the judge to give you two weeks. I thanked him, even though I wanted to punch him in his smug face. So, they got the check and all was fine. The repairs that needed to be done got done. They came in and set down roach and mice traps. They started cleaning the hallways more often. The common area became a bit cleaner. We then said goodbye to that building and moved to Milwaukee. To those who judge the people on housing assistance, SNAP, unemployment, or any other public form of government assistance, shame on you. I'm here to tell you that getting government help is not easy. It took countless hours of paperwork, gathering all of our information, losing hours at work, insanity to make this happen for us. Even though we were struggling, we were still privileged. Privileged to have jobs that were flexible so we could make the countless appointments and court dates. Privileged because we had access to all of our information and spoke English privileged because we didn't just take no for an answer and were able to push people farther and harder to work for us simply because we were white. So many people are evicted every day and become homeless because it's either they go to the appointment and lose money or lose their job, so they really have no choice at all. They don't have the options we had. We had to get fingerprinted, our pictures taken, scans of our IDs and social security numbers. So the next time you say it's too easy to get government assistance, please think again and have sympathy. No one wants to wait hours in line and go all over to appointments and court dates and have their entire life rifled through. The whole process, quite frankly, feels so invasive and can have devastating effects on your psyche. I know that it did with mine. I've never felt worse about myself than I did in those moments. Having to take Theo with me to court in the job center, listening to him cry, being yelled at to keep him quiet, not knowing if all this effort would actually save us. I cried so much during that time. I was constantly on edge, constantly angry, constantly worried. As a mother, there is no worse feeling than that you are failing failing in every sense of the word. 
Sometimes I do wonder if I would move back there to the city that took my innocence, the city that beat me down, the city that showed me what it was to truly live, the city that gave me Albert. But then I think about all the bad things that happened towards the end, and I'm not sure if I could shake those feelings. I hate that we had to struggle the way we did. I hate that it put a strain on us and our marriage. I hate that I had feelings of resentment towards him. Moving back to VA is never something I thought I would do. While I'm still adjusting to a new way of life, I have definitely found a rhythm and am truly starting to embrace being back in my hometown. I have my family, my friends of over 20 years. I'm taking Theo places I went to as a kid and just living a slower pace of life. I truly feel blessed to be here. Sometimes what you thought you didn't want turns out to be exactly what you needed in the end. Sometimes you may feel you need to have it all figured out. You look around and see everyone around you doing these amazing things and they seemingly aren't struggling. You wonder why life can't be that easy for you and you watch them with envy or even with pure wonderment. But I'm here to tell you that they aren't perfect. Most likely, they're struggling just the same as you. We all struggle. We all cry. We all feel less than. It just takes someone's gentle touch or non-judgmental listening ear to remind us that we are all in this together. That in order for us to get through the tough times, we just need to love, accept, and understand. So next time you see your friend or even an acquaintance, offer them some quiet sitting next to you. Offer them the silent voice of connection. Sit and be. You might be surprised at how incredibly powerful that moment can be. I can only hope that we can help each other. I would love to hear from you, whether it be questions, comments, your own personal stories, or topics you would like to hear discussed. Please visit anchor.fm slash brianna-simpson and click on the send voice message button. On my private Facebook page entitled The Same as the Podcast, I share exclusives on upcoming episodes, guests, and a special Spotify playlist updated every week with songs that are inspired by each episode. I'm Brianna. Your friendly, quirky, next-door widow. Thank you for listening. This is How I Got Back to My Childhood Bedroom. I will marry you. The day I married you, I was 30 minutes late. I know you were cracking jokes because that is what you do when you're nervous. But my love, there was never a doubt in my mind that day. Not one. As the sun set and the darkness surrounded our little piece of paradise that night... I couldn't believe you were mine. The lights fading into the background, we stole a moment outside for just us. A moment to breathe, to take in our new direction in life, life of man and wife. Through the years, we struggled a lot. Bills, sickness, bills, sickness, and I could go on forever like that. Then our son Thea was born, a bright shining beacon of hope. You were my calm the whole time. With you by my side, I knew I could do anything. While I felt the universe guiding me through pushes, you put your hand on my forehead, held one of my legs, reassured me how much strength I had inside me. You were so good, so strong, the strongest I have 
ever seen you. Nothing was impossible that night. Night. Night after night of endless feedings and diaper changes, life felt like a spiral completely out of our control. I sometimes wondered if I was cut out to be a mother. But in the middle of the night, you reassured me that I was the best damn mother you'd ever seen. Bills, sickness, bills, sickness, another wave, another hitch in our story. We can never seem to win. You were sick all the time, in pain all the time. What I would have given to relieve you at least just a little. But somehow you always kept moving forward. Even though you lived in pain almost every day of your life, you were the funniest man I've ever met. You suffered greatly. From cancer to heart attacks to depression, honestly, I don't know how you did it. How you fought every day like you did. You always told me how strong I was, but I think you forgot how strong you were at the end. A new leaf for us turned into a snowball effect of yet more stress. Bills, sickness, bills, sickness. Your bright light started to fade. Your vibrancy waned. You started to forget who you were. We lived in the same house, but somehow you were a stranger to me. I wanted so badly to fix you, to make you not hurt anymore. No one truly knew how sick you were. No one truly knew the depths of your pain. Not even me. I could see it, but you tried so hard to hide it. Those last few days of your life, you almost seemed like you had turned a corner. Then, with each day, your sickness got worse. Pneumonia had taken hold of your tired and worn-out body. It took a hold of your mind, your heart. All of you was so tired of fighting every day. You forgot how strong you were, and I wasn't there to remind you the night before my entire world was shattered. As I held your hand one last time in that hospital room, the doctor called time of death, 4.56 p.m., January 9th, 2019. My body was not my own as it fell over you. Screams and sobs coming from places I never knew existed within me. As I left that hospital, it was so cold. The wind whipping around me and hitting me like daggers. But nothing could be as sharp as the pain I will carry the rest of my life in losing you. Grief is waves. It is never-ending. It is not linear. It is a lifelong sentence. But as the months have now turned into a year, I'm finding my new self. A new self that is reflected back in the mirror and is not the same person I once was. The remnants are still there, but I have changed, as anyone would in my position. Your death, while tragic, was not in vain. I get up every day. I make it my purpose to be a good person, to do good for others, to help others. I breathe in the air and am reminded that I am alive and just because you died doesn't mean that I have to as well. I see myself and love myself. I am strong, fearless, limitless, resilient. When I die, I will walk back into your arms and I will marry you. I will see all that I've done laid out before me. You will have been there the whole time still loving me. So, I will marry you.